Hey, welcome to Access. John here. I just wanted to take the opportunity to invite you to a new Sunday night series we're going to begin on the first Sunday night of 2019. It's a series entitled 70 AD and the End of the World. In this study, we're going to look at Jesus' teaching on the Mount of Olives and even do a study on the book of Revelation. My hope in this study is not to convince you of something you don't believe, but that we might just marvel at what God is able to do. So join us on the first Sunday night in 2019 for our study. All are invited to attend. If you're ready to begin today's study, then turn your Bibles to John chapter 20. We're going to look at verses 30 through 31. This message is entitled, The Highlights. Do you ever feel like you're not getting the whole story? I'm sure every parent listening has experienced this feeling at one time or another. Just the other day, my son Pete uh, ran in crying, and since Pete is the middle child, he's developed a defense mechanism of crying and whining whenever anything doesn't go his way, so it's, it's really aggravating for us to hear Pete cry. But this time he had real tears. And so we asked him, what happened, Pete? And he said, Jake bit me. And we asked, Jake bit you? But to show we've been around the block a few times, we asked him, wait, what were you doing to Jake that he bit you? And Pete said, well, Jake wouldn't move. And so we asked, so you were pushing him? And Pete said, no. And so Aaron, my wife, asked, well, what were you doing to Jake, Pete? And Pete looks up with big brown eyes and he says, well, he wouldn't move, so I was standing on his head. And Aaron and I had to stifle back a laugh and say, well, if you were standing on my head, I would have bitten you too. As a parent, we've learned that you, you can't bring the right judgment until you get the whole story. Well, in today's text, we're going to see something a little bizarre. Our author, John, lets his readers know that they aren't getting the whole story. And he lets the readers know that they need to make a judgment about Jesus. And that can kind of seem hard to do. Well, let's read John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31. You'll see what I mean. He says, Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you now and we just lift this passage of Scripture up to you. And as we examine it, God, we ask that your Scripture and the Holy Spirit would examine us. And that, Father, that you might show us the true purpose of John's letter and that, Father, that we might truly get it. Um, I just ask, God, that you just you show us wisdom in this message. And it's all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Essentially, what we can learn from this passage is that there are things that Jesus did and said that John didn't tell us about. I mean, some of these things are recorded in the other Gospels. For example, we see uh, in the other Gospels the baptism of Jesus. We just hear about that Jesus was baptized in the book of John. So we don't see that. We don't see his 40 days in the wilderness where he's tempted by the devil. We don't get to read about the transfiguration on the mount. Um, and we don't see Jesus ever cast out a demon in the book of John. Uh, we don't we don't read about his sermon on the mount or, or even that he teaches his disciples how to pray. Uh, with the exception of the parable of the vine and the branches, John doesn't include one of Jesus' parables. And that's pretty significant. I mean, there, there are things that the other Gospels talk about. Uh, and, you know, while it's a lot, consider that there must have been more things that Jesus said and did that we don't even have a record of. And I don't, you can't take this as a legitimate source, but the Quran says that Jesus once picked up a lump of clay and he threw it up in the air and it became a bird and flew away. There could have been tons of different things that Jesus did and said that John never tells us about. 
John even says in John 21, 25, and there are also many other things which Jesus did, which if they were all written down in detail, I suppose that even the world itself would not contain the books that would be written. So although there are a lot of things that Jesus did that we do know about in the book of John and in the other Gospels, they don't even scratch the surface of all the things he said and did. How are we supposed to make a right judgment about Jesus when we don't have all the information? Although it's interesting to allow our minds to wander when considering all the things Jesus could have said and done, John includes the purpose for why these specific occurrences were selected for him to tell us about. He says in verse 31, These things are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. In other words, John focuses on the highlights of Jesus' life so that we might be given an opportunity. Allow me to to give a little backstory on the book of John. From what we understand, this is the last gospel to be recorded. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke were all written before John took an undertaking of writing the account of Jesus' life and ministry. Quite likely, John is the only disciple of Jesus left alive. We believe that John wrote this around 50 years after the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. 50 years. Not only could we say, well, you know, memory fades after 50 years, or maybe we add to our memory that that our minds aren't video cameras that record everything. Consider this also. There were some 50-year-old people that never really knew that Jesus existed. Think about some of the things that you experienced 50 years ago, or since I'm only 34, 30 years ago. Public telephones, TV guides, VHS, mixtapes, handwriting letters. We don't do that anymore very much. Owning encyclopedias. Nobody owns encyclopedias anymore. If they do, they all got dust on them. You got the internet for that, right? But we would look through literal yellow pages to find companies and businesses. Working out how to spell things from an actual dictionary. Memorizing phone numbers. Calling a movie theater to get movie times, etc. There are tons of things that that happened 50 years ago that people today just have never experienced. I mean, there are a ton of famous people from 30 years ago that I grew up hearing about that people today have never heard of. People like Steve Urkel and Alf and the Fonz. And consider that if, if, if people have heard of these characters, it's only because their legacy was preserved through media. John's readers didn't have that. The only information they had about Jesus was about what people had told them. And so there's some things that maybe people began to tell them that weren't true. I mean, think about that. Like, think about, like, oh, you'll never believe it. I knew Jesus. Yeah, he used to live in my basement. I mean, like, some of the things that were said about Jesus couldn't have possibly been true or could have been true, but we're just not sure. Well, John feels leading by the Holy Spirit to include things about Jesus' life, but he doesn't tell us everything. And, and, you know, John lets his readers know that the purpose of his letter was so they might hear about some of the things that Jesus did and said so that they might believe, which can cause people to begin questioning the authenticity of Scripture. I mean, what about all the other writings about Jesus that never made it into the New Testament canon? For example, what about the Acts of Thomas and the Gospel of Mary Magdalene and the Acts of Peter and the Gospel of Philip and even the Gospel of Judas Iscariot? What about the Gnostic Gospels? How do we know that the things that they said about Jesus didn't really happen? Well, in short, we don't. 
But if we study many of those writings, we can discover that they weren't originated until 200 to 300 years after Christ. Somebody else wrote those, and those weren't actually those people that wrote them. And there are even some things that are in those passages that that conflict with what is actually in the New Testament canon. In other words, if you want to read about them, that's perfectly okay. We just can't take it as the gospel truth. The New Testament canon was closed because the New Testament writings were written by actual apostles, not somebody who said that they were an apostle. They were somebody that were directly linked to Christ. Christ sent them. They were apostles, which means one sent. They don't contradict one another. And in those writings, there are things that contradict things that actually happened in Jesus' life. Jesus said and did. And and they those things were circulated. These letters that we have in the New Testament, they were circulated and used and accepted by the church. So if they didn't meet those three criteria, they weren't included. Personally, I find it fascinating. John's objective was not to set before us an exhausted, exhaustive and thorough history of Jesus of Nazareth. He wrote for the purpose that all who might read his letter might believe. He had second and third generation Christians who have never even seen Jesus. And he wrote so that they might believe. And for us today. Notice in verse 30 that, that John refers to Jesus' miracles as signs. Now, this is significant because it helps us to understand that the purpose of the miracles that Jesus performed were to function as a sign. The ultimate purpose of a sign is not to draw attention to itself, but to direct one's attention elsewhere. Uh, Let's look at some of the signs that Jesus performed and ask ourselves this question. Where were these miracles directing us? Let's quickly go back through what John included and look look at what they were included, uh, where they were pointing. So, for example, uh, John includes that Jesus turned water into wine, that he healed an official son, that he healed a paralyzed man on the Sabbath, that he fed the five thousand, that he walked on water, that he 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 gave sight to a blind man, that he raised Lazarus from the dead, and that he raised himself from the dead. And all of these things point in one direction. Nicodemus preludes to that direction in John 3, 2, when he says, we know that no one could do these signs unless God is with him. But even in that, Nicodemus misses the mark of where these signs were pointing. John included that these signs build upon the very first thing that he wrote about Jesus in John 1, 1. He said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He says in John 1.14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only begotten Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. I want you to consider something about every other miracle performed by the prophets who preceded Christ. From Moses to Isaiah to Elijah, all of them had something in common. All of them had something in common. Um... Every time these men performed a miracle, it was only because God told them to do it. Why this is different from Jesus is that nowhere in any other of the Gospels do you see Jesus first receiving instruction from the Lord and then doing something. Uh, in every single case, Jesus just does it. Now, now we know that Jesus tells his disciples in John 5, 19, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son is able to do nothing of himself unless he's something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. But see, that solidifies the point. 
the son follows the direction of the father, not by receiving some kind of verbal instruction and having to decide on whether or not he will be obedient, but by acting in accordance with God through the Holy Spirit because he and the father are one. Jesus says in John 10, 30, he says, I and the father are one. John wants his readers to understand that Jesus is just not, not just with God, that God's not with Jesus, that, that he is God. Jesus is God, and he alone can bring one thing to the believer. John says in today's passage, these things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing, by believing, you may have life in his name. John's purpose for this entire book is so that people may believe in Jesus and find life. Think about the implication of what that means for all those who don't believe. It means that unbelievers don't have life. Wait a minute. We, we can see them. We can touch them. If we kill them, we commit murder and go to jail. How can we say that unbelievers are not alive? Because as Jesus says in, to Nicodemus in, in John 3, uh, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. See, unbelievers are not alive because they have not been born into new life. In the Garden of Eden, God included two very special trees. One, the tree of life, and two, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Of the second tree, God tells Adam, do not eat from it or you will surely die. So the tree of life and the tree of death. Yet, when, when Adam eats from it, we see sin enter into the world. But we don't immediately see him die as God seems to leave Adam to believe. No, Eve eats from it, and when Adam sees that she doesn't immediately die and that it's good for eating, then he eats it. Kind of insidious on Adam's part when you step back and think about it. But I believe the death that God was talking about was twofold. Of course, when sin entered the world, flesh and everything in the world was in subject to decay, but more importantly, Adam and Eve immediately died a spiritual death in that they were cut off from God and cast out of the Garden of Eden. They didn't get to be in his presence anymore. God is the source of life. And if a person is cut off from God, they are dead in their trespasses and sin. The Apostle Paul makes this point in Ephesians 2. He says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. But God provided a means by which we might not only find life, but that we might enjoy eternal life, as God designed Adam and Eve to enjoy you might say, well, if I'm alive, why do I struggle with sin, suffering, sickness, and sorrow? Well, believer, let me tell you. If you have life in Christ, it does not mean that you're taken out of this world. And that was Jesus' decision. He said in John 17, 15, I do not ask, Father, that you take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. We are kept, preserved, protected from Satan and his plan to destroy our life. Understand also that if you have Christ, you won't possess eternal life someday. If you are a believer in Christ, you have received eternal life. You have it now. Although your physical body might be subject to decay because Jesus did not desire to immediately take us out of this world, our souls can never be destroyed. And although our bodies will die, we will be resurrected at the second coming of Christ. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 21 through 22, For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. 
Only the believer can say death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of sin is death, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us glory, gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 54 through 57. Only a believer can quote that and utter that. Now, I know that many people think that I'm incapable of preaching a shorter message, but I'm about to prove them wrong. The reason being is that nothing else can be said about John's purpose for this book, which is how I want to close. It reminds me of when Jesus gave the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. He, he, he preludes to something troubling to those who look for signs in order to believe. As the rich man is in hell, he looks up to Abraham and he says, I beg you to send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers in order that he might warn them so they will not come also to this place of torment. But Abraham says to him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And the rich man responds, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And Abraham responds, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. Now this fact can be troubling, or can be encouraging. It can be troubling because there was so much that John, uh, that Jesus said and did that John didn't include. I mean, he tells us that. And one could say, well, how am I supposed to make a judgment if I don't know all the facts? Yet John, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, included that everything that was necessary for a person to find life in Jesus' name has been included. In other words, if they can't read these words and believe... There's not another sign coming. Now this That's troubling, yes, but it can also be encouraging because we can know that we have everything that we need for belief. So my question for you today is, do you believe? No, we don't know everything that Jesus said and did, but what we do know is that all that is necessary to find life and belief in, in Jesus is right in front of us. John gave us the highlight so that we might surrender to the reality that Jesus is the answer for death. Jesus said in John 10.10, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man may come to the Father except through me. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but will inherit eternal life. So there it is. That's the purpose of John's letter, that we might read from it and that we might come to Jesus and live. Hey, thanks again for listening. We pray that God blessed you through this message and has given you a clear direction for your life. Please remember to download our church app by searching FBC Rungi in Google Play or iTunes. And remember to subscribe to our podcast so that you never miss another message. If you have any questions about today's message, you can contact us via Facebook or Twitter or use our website. Until then, we hope that you share in our vision to help people take root, grow, and bear fruit. And if so, then let's get out there and get to work.